Welcome to the episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, so much is happening right now in the nation. The election is just about two weeks away. A lot of stuff happening back home locally. A lot of other stories breaking nationwide. But before we get to all those news and all those great topics, let the listeners know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. Uh, We are, like you said, about two weeks away from the election. We are down to about two episodes left. We pretty much bring you news and uh, politics. We follow it, condense it for you to about an hour worth of show and just try to bring it to you in a, in a condensed uh, version so you don't have to follow it. You can just check in with us about once a week. Uh, before we get into the more important topics, I want to know if you saw uh, College Dang, <laughs> college Game Day, I think, about a couple of Saturdays ago. Uh, Wisconsin's forward, Nigel Hayes, had a sign. Uh, something around around the lines of college student broke, please send money. Uh, as you would imagine, whenever this topic comes up as far as uh, paying college athletes, they always get this visceral visceral reaction. I don't know why. Like if you disagree with it, just disagree with it in a in a calm manner. But he got a lot of negative responses. He responded to not just that criticism, but kind of like with Colin Kaepernick. He's kind of he seems to be kind of knowledgeable of of the situation and was able to articulate what he wanted to say. He was on a podcast and he said, quote, I like this quote by him, by the way, if this if if this thing does change, I won't benefit from it. And it's completely fine. A lot of things that are changed, the person who's doing the change or advocating for it rarely reaps those benefits. I'm doing it for the hopes that if another kid. When Thanksgiving comes around and he wants to see his mother, he'll be able to have those couple of dollars to buy a plane ticket to go home and see his family. I thought that was pretty thoughtful and that he's aware that, you know, even if he's the one to enforce the change, he won't benefit from it. And it's it's fine with him. He's, he's looking out for others. I know you went to a major college. Uh, where do you stand as far as paying college athletes? Man, I think it's it's a very, very tough question to, to ask and to answer. I think that what, what ends up happening, the big problem is you talk about paying college athletes. Your always question is, always comes up, who are you paying? Are you just paying football and basketball, which are revenue-generating sports? Are you paying all the women in Title IX sports? Because then if you don't, then there is that gender discrimination. Those are the kind of things you have to really consider. But one of the things that that – is needs to be lifted is college athletes from to my knowledge and like I said I was not a college athlete so I'm not sure of all the rules but I'm pretty sure that they cannot work and that's the thing that's the tough thing they can't have any outside employment so basically the difficult situation is they're forced into this regimented rigid schedule by the college to work for them to do their play the sport for them where they're you know making all this money potentially certainly in the revenue generating sports and they're yet not allowed to make any money for their own or, or reap any benefit one of the things i would like to see certainly came up in ed o'bannon cases even in the case where players um well now they don't even make the college games anymore because it got so crazy but if it could have been solved by saying okay hey if you're in the games you will be getting royalties for it. Maybe even if you don't get them when you're in college, you get them, you know, accruing interest or something after you get out. I think that could have been one way to solve that issue as far as using likenesses on games. Now, as far as actually getting paid and actually accepting benefits, I mean, I think it's just it just needs to be looked at as to what what is an amateur athlete. I think that college sports at this level are not necessarily amateur athletes. I mean, we say they are because it's they're not pros because they're in, in institutions and in universities. But when 
the sport is making so much money and there's millions of dollars made on these bowl games and these different playoff games and different things that are going on. Is it really an amateur sport? So really we need to ask ourselves, do we need the NCAA regulating things? Is that, is that an outdated model? It's such a tough thing, a tough question um, to ask. So I really don't have the answer. I, I, I don't really, I'm of the mindset of not paying athletes and that's not because I don't think they deserve additional compensation. I just think that it's very difficult to figure out how to do it well. I am for players being able to work and receive benefit from their work and other things that that's not necessarily obviously you don't want them working with an agent or an outsider or something. But, you know, there needs to be ways for these guys to be able to have an income or have money that's not related to obviously their sport, um, which they can't currently do. So I think it's just a difficult situation. And I'd like to see some reform. I'd like to see the NCAA make some some good changes they rarely do but at least he like you said he's starting the conversation and maybe it won't get solved in this year or next year or even 10 years but maybe in 2030 they'll have a system set up and and that's what he's fighting for so respect to nigel hayes for that it's funny because a a different student of a different pigmentation uh earlier than this uh also had a sign that read the same thing but it's it was more along the lines of send money for beer. And that was uh, received in a much more cute and cuddly way than Nigel Hayes was. Uh, Not injecting race, just letting you know the facts. Drop that beat. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Politically Entertaining. You can subscribe iTunes, uh, Stitcher Radio, Podbean. Also, go to Google Play, download podcasts, and download the show Politically Entertaining. Derek Rose was found not liable for his uh, rape case. We'll also be talking to Dr. Townsend and discussing corporations taking advantage of underfunded schools. But before we get started, we would like to thank one of our sponsors, Audible.com. Right now, you can visit politicallyentertaining.com slash Audible to get a free, again, free 30-day trial subscription, which includes a free audio book. So check that out. That's politicallyentertaining.com slash Audible. Want to talk about, um, Frank, you mentioned this at the top of the uh, show about a lot of things going on back home. If you've listened to our show, you know that Frank and I are both from Mobile, Alabama. It's a small town, the bottom of the state, uh, right right next to Mississippi. Um, it's a town of about less than 200,000, Frank, and they just recently experienced, I think, their 33rd or 34th. Uh, homicide. But one of the more recent homicides really kind of took the city, kind of gripped the city of, you know, all incomes, all races. Young lady by the name of I'm hoping I hope I'm pronouncing her name correct because I did not know her personally. But a young lady by the name of Delana Powell. Uh, I know the chief of police referred to as as uh, Delana Anderson. I'm not quite sure which one she really goes with. But um, 
what what's incredibly sad about this is she's on her way to work. She's at a stop sign. I guess there's an attempted uh, carjacking or robbery. And as she's trying to drive away, they, they shot at her, wind up killing her. Frank, this young lady's birthday was just this past Friday. She would have been 25 years old. You go to a social media page. She was looking forward to it. She was counting down the days, full of life, full of joy. And it, it's so sad. All murder is sad, but there are some that, you know, are exceptionally sad. And this one seemed to really uh, halt, to, halt the city and have people prompt people to ask questions on what they can do. A couple of things I want to talk about with you, Frank. First off, Mobile's chief of police, Chief Barber, um, as he's talking about this young lady's murder, which was fine. You know, he talked about it in a very respectful way. But what he did that that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. We've talked about this case on past episodes of this show, the, the murder of Michael Moore. He injected Michael Moore's name in the conversation by saying, you know, Delana, she was, you know, an innocent you know, a victim. She was a true victim, unlike Michael Moore. And and that's a case that's still pending to see if the police officer that killed Michael Moore, if he's at fault with anything. And if he's at fault, then Michael Moore is a victim. I know you and I both think that he is a victim if you look at the facts of the case. On top of that, Frank, Chief Barber's wife, Faith Barber, she's going back and forth on social media with someone. And the gentleman, I believe it's a gentleman, he says something along the lines of, you know, not all black people are violent. She responded with since when with a question mark. So that also had people up at arms. They both, I believe, have apologized for their comments. I know Faith, uh, to the best of my knowledge, has even gone as far as to delete her Facebook account. I, I couldn't uh, find it. But I'm going to toss it to you in a second. I just want to ask a larger question because I know we have quite a few mobile listeners. My larger question is this, because a lot of people were fed up with the chief. They they're already fed up with how they've been handling the Michael Moore case. Then he asked this comment on top of it. My question is, if you want him out that bad, if you're dis, that dissatisfied with the mayor and with the leadership, the handling of Michael Moore. My question is, what are you guys going to do about it? Because a lot of you were asking you know, what can we do to change it? In my opinion, and on the front end, I want to say this. I want to say this and be clear. It's easy for me to say these things. I'm not down there, so I don't really have to reap, I guess, the inconvenience of these things. But in my opinion, Frank, whenever you want real change, you're going to have to sacrifice some things you like. The Montgomery bus boy, uh, uh, the Montgomery bus boycott. That inconvenienced a lot of uh, working class African-Americans that needed to go back and forth to work, but they believed in the cause and they did it. What if you like, you know, not attended Mardi Gras, not attended the Senior Bowl, the GoDaddy Bowl or GMAC Bowl, whatever it's called, you know, make it known that you are fed up with what's going on in that city. Maybe even support, like, I understand that there's like a preacher parade. Uh, that goes on right after Mardi Gras. Like, only support that. Concentrate your money into Tomaville and Pritchett and, and areas that are predominantly black and, and really and make it known to the mayor, to the city council, to everyone that you're no longer going to sit back and take this because, you know, typing certain statuses on social media for likes and stuff, it brings awareness, but it only goes so far. And my larger question to my city that I love is what 
I'm not going to say you guys, I'm going to include myself. What are we going to do to send a message that we really want change and we're not just going to talk about it any longer? And my question to you, Frank, is as far as the violence down there, a lot of people are asking this question. In your opinion, do you have a solution to what can be done about the violence going down there? Because a lot of times it's pointed to the schools and the parents upbringing. So if Frank had his say so, how would you try to curb the violence that's going on in our city? Man, that's a, that's a great question, and that put me on the spot. But, you know, I think the first part is going back to something you said, and I wanted to make mention, you, you mentioned uh, the police chief. The police chief is an appointed uh, office by the mayor who is voted in. So what I will say is for those who are disappointed with uh, Sandy, I think Sandy Stimson's his name, the mayor and, and police chief Barber, you know, make sure you support a candidate or make sure you raise a candidate um, up that the next time when mayor elections come up, that you get the mayor that you want. So you get the police chief that you want. I think that that is something that is coming into play. I, I saw some questions about, well, how do we get rid of the police chief? Well, no, he's an appointed official by the mayor that was voted in. So that's another thing that we've talked about on this show previously in situations like Ferguson. You have to you have to start off with your elected officials because that's what affects the most change. Secondly, you made a great point about boy, boycotting um, and, and, and that kind of thing. But I, I know I'm not answering your question just straight away because you're like, well, how do you fix the violence? Well, you have to create a climate where the violence is everyone's problem okay so it can't just be a situation where these black people in pressure they got issues and you know they're killing each other it's got to be a community issue that everybody has to work and, and be and want to be a part of and so that to me starts with having a police chief that actually cares about all victims you know the fact that he uh, made light of Michael Moore's death even even in the case of, you know, obviously Delana uh, Powell or Anderson, I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure which one she goes by. But in the case of Delana's death, the fact that that was even it was almost like that was used as almost like his way to say, well, hey, look, she's a decent black person, you know, but you got all these other thugs out here. Yeah. So it really wasn't a compliment to her as much. It was a way he could just use a foil. To it was disgusting. Right. It was so. So it wasn't it wasn't a very positive thing. So what I'm saying is you have to have people in power that are interested in saying, you know what, this is a problem. Now, I have seen some stuff on Facebook about them implementing some kind of checkpoints and roadblocks in St. Stephen's Road. I've seen some mixed mixed feelings about that. Um, I think those kind of things could help if they're done with the right kind of attitude and the right kind of mentality when policing. You know, we've seen a lot of these situations where roadblocks are set up or, or, or checkpoints are set up in different cities, namely Baltimore, that netted nothing. So you have to be careful with that kind of thing. But I think it all goes back to who you have in power and having them feel like, you know what, this is a problem. This is a mobile problem. There are people there. There are people in Mobile now that think that they may live in West Mobile off Codshill Road and Chillinger that think that, you know what, that's a Pritchard problem. That's that's them. You know, we don't go around Pritchard Mall, so we good. We ain't worried about that. You know, don't go around Stacey's Road. Don't go around there. You know, don't worry about it. And, you know, we live out here by Baker. We good. So, I mean, it has to be um, a change in mindset that this crime is everybody's problem and that these that that 
that it has to be understood. You know, it's so funny to me that the South is so supposed to be so one 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 of more of a Christian type of spirit, which means that we 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 transcend things that are physical. Meaning that if violence is happening to anybody, we understand as a spirit, a negative spirit that's that's basically uh, uh, you know occupying people and destroying the city. The spirit is can inhabit anybody's body, which means that while it might be in Pritchard today, it could be at College Hill tomorrow. It may not happen that quickly, but it can happen. So you've got to have you got to create the spirit that is everybody's problem. I don't necessarily know how to do that, but I do think it starts with having the right people in office. I think that, as you mentioned, it starts with potentially drawing uh, attention to the issue with boycotts of different things. You, as you mentioned, Mardi Gras, GMAC Bowl, Senior Bowl, other events um, to let people know the dissatisfaction with how the city's being run. And again, it also, you know, there's also some things regarding people in the community of people. If you know who these people are, who are, you know, the stop snitching thing needs to go away as well. That that idea, that mindset, if, if anybody knows who is doing any of these things, you need to come forward and, you know, speak your piece and say, hey, I know who did it and that kind of thing, because, you know, it, it doesn't protect anyone to harbor uh, people who are violent, who have committed crimes. So it's going to take a lot, man. And like I said, we, we are here on this show to to make it known and, and understood that, hey, this is not something that's going to be fixed overnight. And so we're going to be checking back on this topic, you know, as we go through the different, you know, episodes of this show. And, we'll, and like I said, we want to keep the magnifying glass on the situation with Michael Moore. And we also want to, you know, keep the people active and stirred. You know, it reminds me of an interview we had with Dwight Ladd um, of Mobile. Obviously, he's a great photographer, but he mentioned and said, you know what? We need to stay on it. You know, we get mad a little bit and then we just kind of let it go. He was like, I want I wanted to stay on it. And I, I feel like one of the things we can do here is to help people stay, stay mad. Don't forget about it. You know, it's like you we, we're not going to let you forget about it. we're not going to forget about it. we're going to try to find a way to solve this issue and and, and uh, make make mobile better for everybody. Delanda would have been 25 years old this past Friday. Rest in heaven, baby girl. Uh, we'll be talking to Dr. Alicia Townsend later on in the show. Uh, we've been getting some great, I mean, great feedback from that Lauren Burke interview to the point to where people have been discussing like mobilizing some of her ideas into action. So. Really would like to see where that goes. Thank you, Lauren, for coming on the show. And thank you all who have given us the uh, great feedback. Speaking of that interview, we have a lot of our past interviews on our YouTube channel, Politically Entertaining. Claiborne Carson, Terry Matthews, QB, uh, Quentin, Buck Quentin Booker, who's a fan of the show now. Thank you for your support, brother. Uh, the Lauren Burke interview, we have... A whole lot of the past interviews. So if the show is too long for you and you want to just check in on the, uh, the past interviews we've done, go to YouTube, type in Politically Entertaining. It'll pull up all our interviews from Senator Tim Scott to Dr. Claiborne Carson. So check that out. Uh, we're going to stay on Mobile for a second, Mobile County at least. There's a small city within the county uh, referred to as 8 Mile, not the one in Detroit. We have an 8 Mile as well. Uh, and basically, it's a predominantly black area. It was referred to in a particular article uh, that I read that uh, it's majority uh, of poor people. Uh, it was kind of debatable on if they're really poor or just middle class. But Frank, they, my dad grew up, well, not grew up, but he lived in um, Eight Mile for a while. So I'm familiar with that area. They have been dealing with a stench 
for the last eight years. Uh, a, a, met, a methane leak caused from light, lightning uh, that uh, released like these toxic fumes. A, a particular young man in that area, Markel Williams, was three years old at the time. He's now 11. Since that whole leak, he's had like um, seizures since he was five years old. Uh, it, it's, it's interrupted his whole school attendance because he has to come out frequently for these seizures. And it kind of reminded me of Flint, Michigan, Frank, where these people have been ignored, predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, they've been dismissed uh, when they complain about it. They've dismissed as it's just an unpleasant odor. It's nothing really harmful about it. With with what has happened with Flint, first off, let's take Flint out of the question for a minute, man. How can something like this, how can people be ignored this long for eight whole years? The, the local politicians, the mayor, even the governor, like it shouldn't matter what the, the racial or the income makeup of this town is. This is your state. This is your city. How in the hell does something like this go on? For for eight years, is it racial? Is it income based, or or do you think that they really feel like, hey, these people are just complaining about something that isn't a big deal? I have bigger matters to carry uh, to worry about. What what is your take on on this whole story and, and what these people have been going through for eight years? So I actually did read up on the story, and I'm actually double checking my facts. I don't want to misspeak as we are on this, but there is. A situation um, where uh, it, basically they're saying, as far as the the smell, so natural gas for those people, a lot of people may know this. You know, I didn't know it until I had natural gas in my home about ten or eleven years ago. It's it's odorless, so you can actually die from a leak. So they have a, this, uh, I think it's called mercapitan, or I, I may not be saying that yes. right. And that allows people to understand there is a leak because otherwise you would just basically die of carbon monoxide poison, which would totally, totally suck, obviously. Um, but here's the crazy thing about the story. A similar situation happened um, a, a while back in a, in, a, in a predominantly white town in Porter Ranch in California. And those residents were moved out and the, and the, and the, and the leak and everything was cleaned up. So... The idea that the precedent has already been made that in the case of a mercapitan leak or even a potential, even if it was just a mercapitan leak and it wasn't a serious gas leak, that people have been moved to alternate housing, to alternate locations. Um, the two leaks also have another thing in common. Sempra Energy owns both of the um how would you say both of the, I guess, facilities or base the, the way the gas is, is dispersed, they are in charge of it. So this isn't even the first time that this has happened on their watch. So the fact that there's been a precedent with residents of another another city being moved and the same company operating having the same problem, what, what, is, what, is, what is the debate? There shouldn't be a debate about whether or not it's a problem because it already happened with the same company. So there may be something faulty they're doing. I'm not enough of an expert on, you know, natural gas or how it's or anything like that to, to speak on that structural integrity from an engineering standpoint. But I am smart enough to say that if it happened twice, fool, you know, fool me once, you know, can't fool me again. You know, to quote, you know, um, you know, George W. It's just one of those kind of things where it's obvious what's the problem here. The problem is there is a lower income uh with less with less political affluence 
and they're saying that they're in a bad situation. Everybody's like, oh, it just smells like rotten eggs. You'll get over it. I mean, the, the article details, and I don't know if we posted it on our page, but we will post it. But the article details the smell being so bad that people have to, like, basically run for cover. I mean, this isn't the same as, okay, yeah, you got a little bit of a, you know, bad smell. And so even if that's the case, aren't we in America? Is that is that not, isn't it not decent enough to have not live with, with your environment smelling like rotten eggs? You know, as you grow up in it, like that just to me doesn't even seem like something that people who are Americans should accept. So, you know, the the whole situation is bad. Obviously, a lot of people may there's already like you mentioned, the young man who's having seizures. There may be other people who are who are being affected who may not even know it yet. It's just a tragedy that this is America. This is this, and, and we have people that are being affected that we could totally, you know, save and treat and we just want to ignore it because we can. Because you know what? It's not a big deal. And that's another reason why, you know, you mentioned some things about the boycott and things like that. We there has to be a mobilization of of people in different areas, not just obviously mobile, but in these places where things are happening, you know, we have to understand how to, you know, mobilize our voices. I think, you know, you've seen things like Sean King with Injustice Boycott. I think those are things that people have to really take seriously going forward as to how do you get a voice? Because one of the things Lauren Burke said very clearly uh, to bring her up again is is what 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 is African-American? What are we trying to get? Are we trying to get equal treatment? Are we trying to stop police brutality? Like we need to come up with a plan of action of what exactly it is that we feel like we need and try to execute it and i think that those things aren't going to happen overnight but they need to be understood and we need to under look at the different situations look at flint michigan you look at eight mile there's probably another city that hasn't been documented with the same thing these kind of things cannot be allowed to go on in america and we have to find a way to try to bring a stop to it someone correct me on this if i'm wrong on our uh, facebook page or whenever we post the show i think mobile county is like 53 percent african-american so there's a lot of power if like you say we can unite on one issue and and you guys can force some change down there the company that frank mentioned is uh called i think aliso canyon that owns both the one in california and the one uh in mobile uh another difference between those two towns that you brought up frank and porter ranch is predominantly white the median income is ninety nine thousand. as i mentioned eight mile predominantly black the median income is 35,000 and one last thing on it there's it's kind of like a blame game going on where mobile gas owned the uh company when the uh when the lightning uh caused this leak soon after like i want to say that same month they sold it to the current company allison aliso canyon and Mobile Gas, so Al- Alice O'Kane, of course, is obviously blaming Mobile Gas, saying it happened under their watch. And Mobile Gas is blaming the cleanup company that was responsible for cleaning up this leak and saying, hey, it's on them. They were supposed to clean it up. So nobody's taking responsibility for it. The people are being ignored. And like we're saying, something has to be done. If you guys have better ideas than, than we have, by all means, we want to hear them. But you know, the time for just talking is over. Something has to be done. These people are literally being poisoned, just like in Flint. They're being poisoned and nobody's saying a mumbling word about it. So something has to be done. 
but we will we will we will move on and keep you up to date on what's going on on both of those stories in Mobile. Uh, <clears throat> Eminem has injected himself in the political race. He released a freestyle uh, dissing Donald Trump. Speaking of Donald Trump, an 11th woman has now come out accusing him of groping her. And um, there's an American hacker uh, who refers to himself as the jester that has pretty much threatened Russia to knock it off with the hacking of Americans or he will be retaliating against Russia. So we'll see what goes on with that. Now, we were going to talk about the, the third and final presidential debate between Hillary and Donald Trump. But quite frankly, I think many of you from the people I've spoken to are kind of sick and tired of this election. Can't wait to be over with. I think we're going to have a record turnout as far as early voting. We're going to pivot away from this whole final debate because there's not much news in there. Because this whole Josh Brown story, the kicker for the New York Giants, came up. And, you know, you look at what happened with Ray Rice and when he, you know, was caught on tape hitting his wife. Josh Brown, you know, what? I'll, I'll let my I'll let Frank tell you about Josh Brown, because I have a feeling that you want to get some things off your chest when it comes to Josh Brown. Yeah, I may, we may have to edit this because not because of what I'm going to say from, a, from a, I'm just saying the length of what I'm saying. I'm just going to get it all out. Um, so the amazing. I'm just want to start with this. You know, I, I'm I'm a Giants fan uh, for my whole life, pretty much. And the reason why is I'm from Alabama. You're like, why am I a Giants fan? Well, my dad is from Brooklyn. Uh, He's born and raised in Brooklyn. He, he went to school in Dartmouth, met my mom there. They got married. They came back to Alabama. So that's he's always kind of kept that. And so growing up, you know, I watched the Giants. And, you know, you watch what your parents do. You, you, you follow it. It happens. So I've been a Giants fan since I was a child. And so, you know, I've always, you know, watched them and rooted for them. And, you know, so and the Giants have always had the perception of being this first class, first, excuse me, first class organization. You know, they do things the right way. They treat players a certain way and that kind of thing. And obviously some of that is is, is just pomp and circumstance and just talk. But you kind of start believing it in some ways. You're like, oh, you know, it's a good organization. The mayor family is so nice and this and that. And then when you find out the Josh Brown situation, as you mentioned, Josh Brown abused his wife over over 20 times. That's been documented, okay, physically. There was an incident at the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago or, or a year ago where he had to be separated uh, from his wife, and his wife and family was moving to a different room. So it was actually an act of domestic violence that happened uh, prior, to, uh, to, prior to, I think, the 2015 season where he had to be separated. So the NFL knew about that incident. Nothing happened at that time. Then another incident happened before the season, that same offseason, I believe. And I may be wrong on the timeline, but but I am not incorrect in the incidents happening. So two incidents basically happened and no discipline really happened. The Giants actually had had signed him to an extension before the second incident that was recorded. So basically what ended up coming out was recently the Kings County Sheriff's Department released this huge document, of, basically of Josh Brown saying, "Yes, I have abused my wife. I thought of her as a slave. I thought myself a god, and you know, basically all these things." It also came who was sexually abused. Um, the, the main thing that I've been dis- disappointed with is just the reaction of not just people, but also the reaction of the Giants. The Giants knew that Josh Brown, whether or not they knew um, all the times he abused her, they knew he had, had abused her at least twice. And so in this today's world where Ray Rice was not given any uh, special treatment, you know, he Ray Rice came forth and said he hit his wife once. It was on video and they they just totally 
you know, narked him from the league. He was out. Now, Josh Brown, knowingly in the in post-Ray Rice, where you're supposed to get a six-game suspension for your first domestic violence um, situation, he has two different situations, gets a contract extension, and only gets one game, okay? So, as worst-case scenario, he should have been suspended until this week based on the, the domestic violence policy. So what, show, what what blows my mind is the NFL is totally hypocritical. They had this big campaign going back a couple years saying no more, no more domestic violence. But yet it they, they worked hard to cover up more domestic violence for this gentleman here. And so, you know, a lot of people bring race into it. I do think there is somewhat of a factor. But I think that what happens is they're saying Josh Brown's a pretty good kicker. He is. He has a strong leg. He makes field goals outside of 50 yards pretty accurately. And he's um, great on kickoffs. So the Giants value winning over anything else, and, and so does the rest of the NFL. And that really, really turned me off. And in a league that's suffering ratings, they may have just lost another fan. You know, I'm really um, considering not watching them. Uh, maybe I wouldn't as too, too hard for me to say ever, but maybe for some period of time. I don't know. I don't know if I'll, I'll get past this because I guess what I'm seeing is I'm seeing hypocrisy at the highest level. I'm seeing Colin Kaepernick destroyed and people saying he's a traitor, all these different things. Yet I'm seeing people go out of their way to cover up a man who admitted abusing his wife um, many multiple times. I'm seeing, you know. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, them take the NFL taking payments for the military for flyovers, even though they're saying that Colin Kaepernick is not patriotic. Well, you didn't even the first 84 years NFL existed, you didn't even stand up for the national anthem. But now somebody expressing a different viewpoint than what you want to portray, um, they're not patriotic. But you're taking millions of dollars for flyovers and shots of servicemen in the stands. So who's really not patriotic? So and the the brainwashing of the fans it blows my mind. The fact that people can even think. That, you know, Josh Brown having uh, been abused sexually is an excuse. Was that same excuse used for Michael Vick? Michael Vick grew up around dogfighting. He was he grew up in Newport News. Anybody ever been to Newport News? You probably don't ever want to be there. It's not a it's a rough place. OK, and, and it's it ain't it ain't for you. If you ain't you got to be a certain type of individual. So Michael Vick grew up in a very, very difficult environment. And so. He was predisposed to dogfighting. I didn't see anybody coming to his defense. And he went to a prison for nearly two years, lost all his money, had to file bankruptcy. And even when he got back in the league after serving his time, people were still critical of him. Yet I hear people making excuses for Josh Brown because he was sexually abused. Now, that obviously is a terrible thing. But at what point do we uh, do we hold men accountable for their actions? He's 37 years old, you know, so I just the optic has just disgusted me at, at such a high level. The NFL um, is, is, you know, their player safety a lie, more games than ever, shorter rest for the players, um, you know, worse products. They, they just, they, they're, 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 you know, it's, it's amazing. I'm glad, I'm glad it's being ripped away. And we as people of America have to ask ourselves, what are we, are we, what are we looking at? What are we worshiping? You know, football's on Sunday. It, you know, they want to have games all day. Sunday and, and that kind of thing every day of the week. They they really want to become a god in so many ways. Some people do worship it. And that's why you see the visceral reaction of people who are so upset about Colin Kaepernick because they, they don't want anything to come in their sanctuary of football. What is that? What is this? You know, to me, when I look at the NFL now, standing back from it, it's just a bunch of flawed men who are overpaid, who are slave to a system that most of them won't even really benefit from because either they're going to be dead and broken from playing it or broke because they don't know how to manage their money. Only only the top 1% 
two percent of the players actually come out on top. I mean, it reminds me of the movie The Running Man back with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not to, to, to show you my age or anything, we're all probably the same age. May listen to the show, but part of the thing of the Running Man movie was there was an idea that somebody was winning. And it was all an illusion, you know, by the time the movie was over that nobody really was winning. And the NFL is that. You know, there's players now that are saying, well, you know, should they kneel? Should they not kneel? That doesn't really matter because you're on your knees anyway. Because if you're worried about where your next check, next check comes from and you can't live without it, you already lost. I think that's what people are missing. That's why Colin Kaepernick is, is free and all the other guys who are kneeling are free. All the other guys who are not kneeling or the idea about this patriotism, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because, you know, you are not you don't you don't you don't have the education and the mindset to be able to move beyond that huge check you're getting. Like the owners, they're rich. They really are wealthy. The players, they just have a big salary and a bunch of expenses. A lot of them, not all of them. But what I'm saying is the illusion of what they have created is nothing more than slavery. And and to go to give Nicole Spears 100 percent credit because I was not totally on board with what you said about HBCUs and things like that and I'd like to have you on to have this discussion again but it really is disgusting when you think about they come to our cities um, you know there, there was a statistic that came out that said the NFL players or most of the great players in college come from like 10 or 20 areas that are you know indigent you know so they're coming in our communities and taking indigent people out Yes, they're giving you a salary, but they're not giving you any way to manage it and benefit it. They're taking you away from your community and your, you know, their property, you're their showpiece. And when you can't go anymore, it doesn't matter. They turn you into glue, you know, like Boxer and, and Animal Farm for the George Orwell readers out there. Miss Hester, shout out to you, um, you know, 10th grade English. So I just think that. Those are the things that I'm open my mind to. And I don't want to come off like I'm being preachy. Like, if you want to watch the NFL, keep watching the NFL. I'm not trying to come against it. I'm just telling you where I am mentally in this world, in this state of seeing things that they are. And I'm just, my eyes are open for the first time. And I'm just looking at things differently. And I just feel like it's it's a worthy conversation to be had based on everything that's happening. I will, uh, well, those of you that follow me on social media, you pretty much know how I feel about the niggas for lease. Uh, the NFL. So uh, I'm, I think I may be a step ahead of, of Frank on that. I'm pretty much, I can't say I'm 100% done, but I haven't watched a full NFL game yet this year. Uh, I think the bigger picture, Frank, is this society as a whole, we don't care about women. The main difference between Ray Rice and Josh Brown is the videotape. And it's like, a woman can say I've been abused and we kind of like shrug our shoulders and say, oh, OK, that's that's messed up. Maybe you should leave. Only when we see it do you get this whole outrage. But other than that, nobody really gives a damn. And the whole thing is, what do you think domestic violence looks like? Like, do you think when a woman says I'm being abused, that it's a gentle shove from a husband? No, it's a balled up fist used to come at her face with force most of the time. But. We rarely get outraged about it. And I think because the Josh Brown incidents lack a visual evidence for people to see, they shrug it off because we don't we don't give a damn about women. We we question rape victims. Um, even, you know, again, I'm not here to say whether or not Bill Cosby is guilty or not. But for people to not know any facts and say all 60 plus women are lying, that lets you know where we are as a society. We, we don't care about women, point blank, period. And the NFL is no different. Like you say, they lied about the whole no more campaign. 
they lied. I don't know if you remember this, Frank, when the, with the whole Jonathan Martin and uh, the Incog- what was his name? Richie Incognito for the Miami Dolphins. They were supposed to have this whole committee on bullying with Tony Dungy and all this stuff. And they were going to investigate. That committee has yet to take place. That was like four years ago. And you hadn't heard a mumbling word about it because they lied. The NFL stole a million dollars from the players union. You mentioned how they had the military paying them for the fake patriotism. And then my team, the Colts, they're making it much easier for me to to distance myself from the league. Our owner pretty much just cut Cromartie for protesting. He he made it known how he felt. He told the players not to do it. Cromartie did it anyway. You can some some you can say, well, he was cut because he wasn't playing well. Have you seen the Colts? Have you seen how many of them are not playing well and are still on that team? I guarantee you Cromartie is better than a lot of them. He got cut because he was protesting. So it's like it, it's it's a dictatorship. I'm at the point to where I can't stand that league. Again, I'm not I'm not asking anybody else to start watching. I'm just telling you how I feel about it. If the NFL was any other company being ran like it is now with predominantly black employees, you have a lot more to say. But the NFL is your feel good and you're not going to turn away from it. And they're rarely criticized for it. I'll get off my soapbox on it. Um, We're going to talk about. As I mentioned earlier in the show, corporations taking advantage of underfunded schools. Uh, you may have heard Aleppo referred to during the uh, debate. Uh, they talked about it as though people already know what the hell that is. So we'll kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, I do want to say before we get into our interview with Dr. Thompson, quite often our guests will make reference to some great books that they have read or even written. And until recently, you know, with us doing the show and researching it and my, my regular job, I hadn't been able to catch up on my reading. But thanks to audible.com, I can check out all of those books that I don't have time to read just by listening to them. If you visit politicallyentertaining.com slash audible, you can get a free 30 day trial, which includes a free audiobook. It's yours. You can check out great titles like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander or Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. When you're on the go or have some downtime at work, visit politicallyentertaining.com slash audible to start listening today. But again, visit politicallyentertaining.com slash audible, free 30-day trial, free audio book. Check it out. Let's talk to Dr. Townsend. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Today on Politically Entertaining, she resides in the Chicago area. She's a married mother of five and an OBGYN. Dr. Alicia Townsend, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we always like to hear that. So we'll... um, We'll jump right into this. Uh, last week, Frank and I, we discussed uh, Dr. Tamika Cross and her whole incident on her flight where one of the passengers had an emergency and the flight attendant asked, was there a doctor on board? She raised her hand and the flight attendant, quote, told her, no, sweetie, we need a real physician. Put your hand down. Uh, just a blatant case of, you know, just stereotyping, discrimination, condescending. Yeah. I was wondering since... You, because she happened to be an OBGYN and you are an OBGYN. I was wondering if you had any discriminat- 
discrimin- discriminatory, I can't even talk, discriminatory stories as far as being a black female doctor, or was this just an outlier in uh, Dr. Cross's situation? I do wish that I could say it's only an outlier. Um, I did my best to support uh, her campaign and help share her story uh, as soon as I was made aware of it. And the black female doctors that I know, including myself, we stand in solidarity with her and in support and validation of her experience, which is all too common. Um, I have many heartwarming stories, but there are too many stories of being mistaken for custodial staff, uh, cafeteria worker, or another position that, while very valuable to the medical team, is not the position that I spent years attaining and spent quite a bit of money to achieve as well to attend that medical school and get that degree. And we find all too often that it is assumed that we don't belong in those settings as a person of authority. We, In the medical uh, realm, in the operating theater, in many situations, we are made to feel out of place. And that is something that we are still struggling against every day. And that's not to say that there are not supportive environments and supportive colleagues and excellent mentors to be found, but there's still a long way to go. Agreed. Um, you you share an op-ed on social media by, I believe her name is Tamika Tillman. She uh, was Secretary Clinton's speechwriter when she was at the State Department. And she her op-ed was titled, What Mormons Should Know About Hillary. And it basically talked yeah. about the, the false portrayal of Hillary Clinton. And it kind of brings me back to my first question in a way. Do you think it's just... Because I hear a lot of people that are close to Hillary say say these things that once you get to know her, if you really know her, she's nothing like what she's been portrayed. Is it just that labels stick easier to to women or is it just, you know, specific to just Hillary Clinton? Because people say, well, she's a liar. Well, but people also say all politicians liar. Yet when you think of Marco Rubio, you don't think liar. When you think of uh, any other pop- politician, you don't always think liar but for some reason when it comes to this woman Hillary Clinton a lot of people do not like her it seems like they believe in all the labels that have been thrown at her so I'm wondering is this just a female problem or is this just limited to Hillary I do believe that she exemplifies a larger problem she's so unique in her position to be the first uh, woman who's a presidential candidate and a major party nominee that it's, I think it would be the dominant narrative to want to ascribe it to something unlikable, something that's specific to her. But the hard truth is that we have to examine why such a well-prepared, well-qualified female candidate with the caliber of opponent that she's facing is coming under fire in this manner. I, I really do believe that a woman who is this ambitious and this driven is threatening uh, to our perception of what a woman is and what a woman should be. And she is, I believe, a natural-born leader, somebody who has a vision. And I think a lot of people cannot understand that in 
the package that she brings it. And I think that if there were more women in her position, that we would see that same same type of situation play out. Now that's that's a great point you made, Lisa. I want to I want to jump in here, uh, or, or Doctor Alicia Townsend. Let me address you correctly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so you know the 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 crazy thing that you mentioned. You said okay, hey, um, Hillary obviously is very qualified, and we know that in your field. Obviously, you've been a doctor for quite a while now, over a decade. And and one of the things about Donald Trump is we know he's very unqualified, regardless of if you feel like you should vote for him or whatever it is. He's very unqualified. I think we can all agree with that. Now, have you found when you're practicing medicine that you, and I think you're, I know where you're going with this, but have you been in positions where somebody who basically looks like the doctor has been given the benefit of the doubt and they've get, say given a wrong diagnosis or done something wrong and you were actually like, hey, this is this is not the right way, but they you had to almost kind of go out of the way to prove your point because you didn't look like the one who looked like the the authority figure. Yes. Uh, a very common scenario that has happened not only to me, but to other women, uh, regardless of whether they were white women or women of color, is to go into a room with a white male medical student or a white male pharmacist or a white male respiratory technician and approach the patient's bedside, even if I uh, introduce myself using my title, saying, you know, good morning, I'm Dr. Townsend, and I'm here with student so-and-so or uh, what have you, and we're here to do this, And the, but the patient's vision or gaze settles on the person that they feel looks the part. And you will find that in their perception, you often don't look the part. Um, and it's very interesting that even when you explicitly claim your title, sometimes that's still overlooked. Um, and then there are other settings, uh, and it happens in uh, the corporate world as well, where you are stating, say, a plan of care, a plan of action for a patient, and you are talked over, and then you hear a few minutes later somebody say the same thing that you just said, but this time it's a man who's saying it, and everyone says, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Let's go with that. So women who are aspiring to uh, be in a higher-level profession or to uh, achieve leadership have a fine line to walk because you don't want to appear arrogant, overly aggressive. You don't want to be the B word. But at the same time, you have to find a way to take credit um, for your achievements and your ideas and still not alienate anyone. And as you can see, it's a, it's a, it's a tightrope and it really helps to look the part. And I believe that to many people, Donald Trump looks the part more than Hillary does and they're more comfortable regardless of what he says and what he does, with the idea of him being the president. And it's very hard to think that it's based on a policy issue or um, an explicit stance that he's taken because he speaks more in sound bites. Um, it's hard to believe that it is not a gender issue. And I'm definitely one to say that I do believe that it is a gender issue and I think that appearances matter, and so that often will put women at a disadvantage. 
That's very interesting. Now, here's a, I'm going to shift the focus a little bit. Now, obviously, you being a doctor and being around other doctors, uh, the Affordable Care Act is something that has come to pass in the last, you know, uh, in, over the term of the Obama presidency. Uh, how has the Affordable Care excuse me, let me rephrase that. How has the Affordable Care Act been received among doctors? And with the talk of, say, if Trump was elected president and him talking about repealing it, what is the overall, is there a benefit you, that doctors have seen from the Affordable Care Act? And are they afraid that it, it would it be, if it was repealed or some change were made to it, would it affect uh, doctors that are practicing currently? I would say that there are different perspectives on how to, how to feel about uh, the Affordable Care Act, whether you perceive it as a success or a failure. I think in terms of patient access, it is definitely a success. I think that it is part of a larger problem um, with our healthcare system and with reimbursement for physicians and for really a, a lack of control um, over the healthcare system in terms of government spending and in terms of inability to direct uh, how healthcare works by clinicians, physicians particularly, it is part still of that struggle. So there are many doctors who see it negatively in terms of falling reimbursements, but it's not the Affordable Care Act itself. It's actually really just the symptom of the bigger problem that doctors who are often not business people and often not inclined to participate in protests and, and other types of governmental interventions have gradually lost control over how healthcare is delivered in this country. And it's been taken over in many ways by a bureaucracy and by people with a corporate mindset and not the ideal altruistic mindset that we feel people should have when they deliver health care. And so we've moved further away from um, a service model, I believe, and more towards um, a business model. The language reflects that uh, patients have become clients, customers, and consumers, and physicians have found their role diminished um, or equated with people who while still valuable members of uh, the healthcare team, have not made the same investment in years, in time, in training, in dollars uh, that it takes to become a physician. And the fact that the Affordable Care Act allows more people opportunities to see a physician, it allows uh, essentially well care, meaning uh, visits, that are not problem visits, but are health maintenance type visits to be covered is a success. The fact that pre-existing conditions are no longer uh, a barrier to access for health care, I think all of that is a success. But I definitely think among doctors there's a mixed view of it, but you really cannot blame it all on the Affordable Care Act. It's really the whole climate really need uh, a revolution in how we look at healthcare policy. And we really have to see physicians and other uh, 
care caregivers in the healthcare system step up to take a leadership role in how we define how this is going to work going forward. We are talking to Dr. Townsend discussing issues such as uh, discrimination against black doctors, specifically black female doctors, uh, also talking about Obamacare. And something else I wanted to touch on with you was uh, the area that you're in, Chicago. Uh, your city, your area is the all lives matter, what about black on black crime, conservative punching bag. Um, you're in one of the suburbs outside of Chicago. Is the violence so bad in the city that it affects the the, the outer suburbs of, of Chicago? Or is it just really, as long as you don't live in those areas, it's not something that you really think about? Or is the problem so big that, you know, it affects the, the entire area, just, not just the city? I would definitely say it is become a concern outside of the city proper, definitely into the entire uh, area, including extending into uh, northwest uh, Indiana and uh, southeast Wisconsin in terms of concern about the increasing violence. Uh, there's coverage daily. I watch the news every day. There's news coverage daily on violence shootings, murders, often of children. What I would like to challenge the dominant narrative on is that black people, black communities are not concerned about black-on-black crime. That's a a cop-out, pun intended, um, to addressing that there are multiple issues that are going on that race is a factor in. In terms of the crime that goes on in Chicago, a lot of it is gang-related. The community is constantly working against this. There are mother, organizations of mothers, community organizations. There are uh, certain prominent leaders in the city that are known uh, to the people in the city that, uh, that come and organize efforts uh, every time these incidents. So the community is aware and the community is active on these issues. I can't speak to what type of coverage in the news that uh, other other cities and towns are are receiving about what's going on in Chicago that may lead them to think that we're only concerned when a police officer is involved in the shooting. That is utterly false. So I just want to rebut that entirely. Uh, We are all concerned. I think that certainly people of color, whether they're in the city or not, are very uh, concerned. We're often connected to it because we have family uh, still living in the city, even if we are no longer living in the city. Um, nobody really feels insulated from it. And even if you live in the suburbs, you, you go into the city. There was recently a shooting uh, around Millennium Park, which is a very popular area for tourists and uh, Chicago uh, denizens alike. And you're really seeing the violence not being contained to uh, the areas that you would assume it would remain in. So nobody is really, quote, unquote, safe anymore, and everybody is very concerned about it. And there is definitely a lot of work being done, and there are many, many aspects to the problem. There's a long history of problems within the police force in the city, 
Um, there's a lot of uh, corruption, dare I say it. And these things are not going to be changed overnight. I do have hope that we'll uh, move in a better direction, uh, but it's definitely something that is on everyone's mind who lives in the area. You're going to have to forgive me because um, I was actually talking to some people and telling them uh, the guests that we were having and that we would be interviewing you, and it's a conversation that has come up. So this next question may seem silly to you, but it's, it's a viewer request, so I'm going to ask it. But before I do, I'm glad you said what you said in that answer because my second part of that question was going to be, do you feel like the efforts against the violence have been underreported? And that's my argument all the time when fellow black people say that, you know, we only care when it's a white person killing a black person. I always say that's not true. There are people fighting all the time and you negate their efforts when you say we only care when it's a white person. There are people fighting every day, just underreported. Is that something that you would agree with or do you think more of an effort to combat violence could be made? I 100% co-sign what you just said. Um, I, I think that when we say more could be done, really what that should entail is involving uh, people in the effort that don't seem to necessarily be uh, the people that would be affected. I, there's a lot of false dichotomies in the way that we think about things. There's black problems, you know, Latino problems, white problems. There really has to be a coming together to solve these problems. So I'm not surprised that we are going to have mothers organized whose children have been killed in gang violence or senseless shootings, but we also need to have all mothers of all races and all socioeconomic backgrounds invested and concerned in this. And that's that's who needs to be recruited. It's not black people aren't interested enough in the issues that concern them locally. I think that the problem is, why is it seen as a, a, a black problem? I think it's so bad in Chicago that people are starting to realize that it's a problem for everyone. But I think that before it gets this bad, that any city should be looking at its um, its citizens that are faring less well and trying to put themselves in their shoes and think about how they are going to support and improve the lives of those citizens because ultimately that's the only way to grow the pie. Otherwise, we keep fighting over the same little pie trying to get a slice. And now for the listener question. And I said it's a silly question, but maybe it's not a silly question. I was told that uh, when it comes to giving birth, that C-sections cost significantly more than the traditional vaginal birth. Is there, and the conspiracy theory is that there are some doctors, there are many doctors that push women to get a C-section to get paid more. Have you heard of anything like that anywhere, or is that completely, like, can you put that to bed, or can you give it life? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I will definitely address it. Um, <laughs> there is definitely a difference in reimbursement between a cesarean delivery and a vaginal delivery. Uh, cesarean is a, a major surgery, and for that reason, 
and the potential complications and the fact that you have to have a higher skill level in order to do it, it's reimbursed more highly. I do not agree uh, that doctors do it for the higher reimbursement. I would say that if you if you are perceiving that doctors are uh, sharpening their scalpels to do C-sections rather than uh, regular deliveries, it's really more of an issue of liability. Obstetrician gynecologists have one of the top malpractice insurance rates among all the specialties. And a cesarean section, if not done in certain situations, arguably can constitute negligence on the part of the doctor. So if anything seems to be going south, the doctor is going to be inclined to go the C-section route rather than try for a regular delivery. I mean, it's I don't want to give a pat answer, but that is probably what people are perceiving. It's less about the doctor trying to collect bigger fees and more about the doctor trying to avoid being sued in the future because if something happened to little Tommy or little Tina and the parents can go back and say, well, the baby wasn't delivered quickly enough, the baby should have been delivered by a cesarean section hours before this problem developed, then that's, that could be potentially career-ending. I want to, uh, before we get you out of here, I just want to touch on one of your answers that you gave to Frank because I have had real live conversations with people that have said, that women are taking over and moving ahead of men. And so when I was listening to your answer about, you know, the things you go through as a woman being mistaken for a janitor or being overtalked, like a man literally saying the same suggestion that you did and it being okay once he said it, I'm going to really direct them to this interview because there are some men that really feel like, you know, men are taking a backseat and women are taking over. And I think this interview really uh, debunks that. So I, I thank you for that answer on that particular question. Uh, Dr. Alicia Townsend, certified OB, OBGYN. And if you didn't pick up on it when Frank addressed her by, I think he called her Lisa, it's because it's his sister. She, she's the sister of my co-host, Frank. Uh, so we want to thank you for coming on. It's good to have co-host like Frank, who has one sister that owns a dance studio and another sister that's a doctor. So we appreciate you for coming on. And if you want to follow her on Twitter, it's at Dr. A. Townsend. That's D-R, the letter A. Townsend on Twitter, if you'd like to follow her. And uh, we thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Dr. Alicia, your sister, Townsend, for joining us. Uh, she had some great points. Uh, I always like to point out what stood out to me in these interviews. I loved how she, as a female, was able to not talk in general terms, but in personal terms about the discrimination that, you know, women go through, female doctors we were talking about specifically, but women go through on a day-to-day basis, like I said during the interview. There are people that feel like there is no more discrimination against women and to one-up that, that they have now surpassed men when it comes to that. Uh, so I, I'm glad that she was able to speak to that. And I'm also glad that she was able to speak up for those that are putting in the efforts to combat the violence in Chicago. You know, I get a lot of this whole what about black on black crime people. And, you know, like I told her, Frank, you really do negate those people's efforts. Those people, those people are working hard 
and they don't get any type of media coverage. They go virtually unknown. And then you go a step further and, and pretty much say that nobody's fighting to, to, to try to stop the violence. There are people out there fighting. She mentioned it. It just doesn't get covered. Uh, what did you uh, take away from your sister's interview? Well, you know, it's always funny to hear my sister um, talk in a way that, you know, I do talk to my sister a fair amount, but just hearing her speak, uh, you know, on those different topics was just almost like, oh, this is my sister talking. Uh, but just to, to your point about the violence in Chicago, and there are people working on it, it's amazing the, the perception of the mindset that they, this black on black crime is not being addressed anywhere. And that's the main argument against Colin Kaepernick, you know, kneeling is that, oh, black and black crime is going on. Nobody's doing anything. And, you know, it is, it is happening. You just have to look for it. Um, I, I think that, you know, her bringing up the things about women being discriminated against goes hand in hand with, you know, we don't respect women as far as sexually assault victims, rape victims. It's like if my sister, who was a valedictorian at 16 years old and Baker High School graduated was it was a licensed doctor at 30 at 30 years old and she would walk into a patient's room with a clinical assistant or a physician assistant or whatever and still not be thought of and, and she is by far the smartest person I, I say this not as a plug for my sister but she is by far the smartest person that I have met um, in my life and just to to my for, to think that she's not who she says she is or she's not qualified is incredible um to me because of our implicit bias so it's just it's just an amazing uh thing that you know that she brought those things up and the things she has to deal with on a regular basis but you know it's it's just impressive that she also has overcome those things and obviously she's successful and it's just a great insight into the mind of you know uh, the women you know the women of color who are who are doing very important jobs and are are overlooked on a regular basis and it's too bad it's happening in this country but it's great to know that they are still achieving and they're still proud and happy to you know do their jobs as to the best of their ability wow that's impressive i did not know she was uh valid victorian at 16 and a doctor at 30 that is uh, impressive, and I think she's going to be our medical expert for the show going forward. We got a financial expert with Razio, and we also have a uh, a law expert with uh, QB. So we we are moving along with this. Um, we're getting towards the end of the show. I did want to touch on real quick Aleppo. It was mentioned in the uh, final presidential debate, and I, I got I'm going to be honest. I don't know a whole lot about it. What I can tell you. Uh, because I like for you to be informed and I didn't like how they, they mentioned it and they, they asked the candidates, what can they do about it? I'm like, are you going to tell the people what Aleppo is? Is it a bill? Is it a place? It's a city in Syria. Um, there's a civil war going on. It's been going on for about four years now. It's between, uh, the Syrian opposition and the Syrian government. A whole lot of different factions within each group. Um, they're fighting one another. Uh, a Ru Russia, who's been heavily involved in this civil war, supporting the uh, Syrian government side, uh, they agreed to a ceasefire for a few days. And it was supposed to be to allow civilians to get out of there and allow the U.N. to go in and supply aid and food to the people that are there. Uh, they're saying that they were not able to and hardly any civilians were able to get out. The fighting has begun again and it's continuing to go on. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? 
No, I really, I mean, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of information on Aleppo other than what you said. Um, I do think that it's a situation that obviously is terribly tragic. I know that one of the, the offshoots of that situation is Syrian refugees and whether or not they should come to this country. And, you know, Donald Trump with his fear mongering saying that, well, all these people coming in from the country are from ISIS uh, or, or ISIS, you know, uh, factions. And so, you know, it's amazing that that's the narrative that comes out of a terrible civil war. People are dying. Children are being killed. Women are being killed um, at alarming rates. And yet, you know, we're concerned with Islamic terrorism as if that kills more people in America than uh, certainly for African-Americans. You're more worried about potentially police brutality. And certainly if you're just in general population, um, you know, uh, you can, you know, you got you got the white male faction of shooters or different situations like that, or even people who are born in America who are just become radicalized regardless of their religion or race. So I just think that the idea that there's these foreign powers from abroad trying to come in and blow up the country is misguided. Not saying that that's not possible, but what I'm saying is what comes out of Aleppo needs to be not that there's ISIS coming into America if these refugees, there are people that need help they certainly have to be vetted, I think that's very important that they are vetted but I think to close our borders to them would be a mistake from a standpoint of, you know, if we're a one nation under God, if we're not one nation under God, we can just say okay, we're not, we're one nation for as much money as we can get and, and keeping, you know the rich rich and that kind of thing, but if we're one nation under God, with liberty just for all and all that kind of thing we love to pledge to then we need to really have an, an effort to let some of these refugees in um, to get a, to gain asylum uh, from what's going on there because it's certainly a tragic situation. I wanna I wanna close the show on uh, our public schools being underfunded and these corporations seizing that opportunity and taking advantage of them. Uh, they've been underfunded for a long time. Uh, but since 2008, you know, we had that whole financial crisis and breakdown. Uh, it's really uh, been impacted even more as far as the underfunding goes. Uh, and corporations are taking advantage. One in particular, McDonald's, they have in certain cities, obviously, usually the poorer cities, predominantly minority cities. They have what they're calling <laughs> McTeacher Night where they have teachers come in, I think it's once a week, and they work at McDonald's and they encourage, you know, the students of that school to come to that McDonald's and, and purchase food. Now, McDonald's is like donating uh, certain proceeds to that school, you know, depending on how much biz business they get and these teachers. Basically what they're doing, Frank, is getting free labor out of these teachers. They don't get paid. And this whole donation that McDonald's gives these schools, it averages out to about two dollars per student. That's what they're getting. That's what, sorry about that, folks. You heard my, my phone alarm. But they they uh they averages out to about two dollars per per student, which is pretty much nothing. It's free labor, and they also get to advertise at the school. They're they're gaining uh, new customers with these young students. Um, we're fighting an obese problem in this country. And, you know, McDonald's is one of the big, you know, factors, these fast food places. But for me, it, it, it create it brought up a bigger issue for me, Frank. And this whole thing with they're teaching us, they're teaching our students that, you know, it's not what they eat. It's not what you're eating fault. It's, it's that the, the kids are not getting enough 
exercise. And that is a myth. There's a doc, a great documentary called Fed Up that I encourage you all to watch. But basically, sugar is down there in every piece of food we eat. So it's not necessarily like, hey, I don't eat cookies. I don't eat cake. I don't eat candy. Therefore, I don't eat sugar. Sugar is in nearly everything. There's about 56 different names from sugar. And it is causing this whole obese problem. And it's bigger than the whole calorie in, calorie out type of uh, teachings that they're giving giving our uh, people. There's a healthy weight uh, commitment and foundation uh, going on, and they are tasked with reducing obesity. They created a task force called Together Counts. Now, what's funny about this, what's funny about Together Counts is the board of directors consist of executives from Pepsi, Nestle and Coca-Cola. How are they going to, you know, teach kids about losing weight when their products are the very ones that are causing obesity? But back back to the original story, corporations, they're coming in. Schools are not supposed to be commercialized, but because of underfunding, schools are so desperate. They're turning to McDonald's, Coca-Cola, even Levi's now is in some schools. Pizza Hut is is now able to serve lunch. Uh, Chick-fil-A serving lunch in our schools. Uh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Our schools are supposed to be fully funded. These corporations pretty much are getting over because they're not filling in the gap for the financial distress that these schools have. And they're pretty much getting free advertising in these schools while donating what amounts to a dollar or two per school. Uh, I'll try to get off my soapbox, but this was a big deal to me. It may not sound like a big deal, but o- obesity is a huge problem. It's one of the reasons why our health care prices are out the roof. And politicians are constantly trying to fix it. We have an obesity problem. These companies are not helping. Uh, when Michelle Obama started her whole, I think it was called Get Moving uh, campaign, it was supposed to be attacking these companies. What they did was the companies said, oh, yeah, we'll help. And that's how they began focusing on, look, you just need to exercise more. You can eat what you want. Just watch how many calories you eat and just exercise more. But it's bigger than that. The, the sugar content and these foods that we eat, no no normal person can work that off unless you just literally run it all day. It's a false myth. The sugar company has a lot of influence. Uh, if you ever looked at, and I'll pass it to you after this point, Frank, if you ever looked at like the uh, nutritional facts on anything you eat, everything from fat to sodium to, uh, I want to say, vitamins, what they have next to it is a daily percentage value. Everything except sugar. You know why? Because during the Bush administration, the sugar, uh, the sugar lobby pressured the Bush administration not to put that on there. Because if you saw how much sugar we're supposed to have each day, you really wouldn't be able to eat anything because it would show you that you're eating way too much sugar every day. They pressured the Bush administration and the Bush administration threatened to withhold money to the World Health Organization. That's who had uh, all these companies now put the nutritional facts on their products. They pressured World Health Organization and said, hey, the United States is not going to give you money if you come out with this whole sugar statistic. So that's why it's left off. It's it, like I say, I, I realize you listen to this and what's the big deal? I'm telling you, it is a big deal. And I just wanted to know if you saw this article and if you had any thoughts on what's going on with corporations in our school. 
the great Martin Luther King said, beware of corporate profits. And that's pretty much where I, I mean, I can't really add too much to what you said other than it's pretty messed up. Um, a quick tip for reading food labels for those, obviously sugar's not on there, but if you look at a food label and you see your daily allowance, anything uh, bad for you that's greater than 20%, you probably shouldn't be eating anything, anything less than 5% that says it has something good in it, probably not enough of it for you to make a difference. So those are just quick tips that you can use to read your food labels. Obviously, the sugar part is not there. Uh, it's 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 too bad that we're in this position, but you know without with with the way corporations are able to wield their power, what 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 is really you know what's going to really be the answer to solving this problem? You know we underfund our schools, and somebody's going to step in and take advantage. You know it's like not taking care of your home. You know it's not taking your wife as a man. Some other guy swoops in. You know what's going to happen? You leave them vulnerable to to other things. So. Uh, it's 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 an unfortunate situation, and I don't know what to really say about it. I'd actually like to read up a little bit more about some of the things you you mentioned. I was not aware of the, that incident during the Bush administration happening, so you know I don't want to comment too much further. But wow, I'm just it's, just, it's certainly shocking. Again, that documentary is fed up. I think it's still available on Netflix as well. So there's two documentaries you guys need to check out if you haven't checked out the 13th. Make sure you check that out. Fed up is also fed up. I'm telling you, man, it will make you rethink your whole diet and, w- and what you eat each day. So I, I highly encourage those two documentaries. Uh, I'm going to let you take us off, Frank, but I do want to thank the listeners. Um, and thank for all. Thank you for all the positive feedback that we've gotten. Uh, Jessica McDaniels, Orazio Macarelli, Quentin Brooker, Booker, I'm sorry, Quentin Booker, QB, uh, has also given us some great feedback. So thank you guys. Please help us share the episode. We're trying to recruit as many listeners as possible as we wind down this season. And we're going to try to be even bigger and better for next season. But we would like to close this season out with a bang. So tell as many people as possible about this show. Have them uh, subscribe, listen to it. And don't forget about our YouTube channel as well. Again, thank the listeners. Definitely share, as Byron said, share it with as many people as possible. I, I challenge you all before the season ends to share this uh, show with, you know, three other friends. You know, we say five, but just make it three. Share it with three people. Have them listen to it and have them share it with three more people. That's all we ask you to do. Of course, the election is coming up. It's a huge deal. Um, not just a presidential election. Make sure you know who's running down ballot. Understand who your, uh, you know, district attorneys are, your judges uh, other other offices locally. Make sure you understand other laws that are being changed or being amended, and you understand what they are. Just don't go in and check yes or no. Some of those questions are worded strangely. Those yes or no propositions. Read them before you get in the booth, so you know what you're doing. Uh, just be informed, certainly, and uh, you know, make sure that you know where you're voting. If you moved, make sure you know that if you have to go back to an old polling place, make sure you make time to go there. If you can early vote, definitely do that. I think this will be a big election from a standpoint of turnout, so you definitely want to get out there early if possible and vote. Uh, early voting, I know, has already started in many places. It's starting uh, next week up here in Maryland. So definitely just continue to you know pay attention to that and make sure you get out there and vote. We just want to thank all the listeners. We do this show for you, and w- we wouldn't be able to do the show without you. So just want to thank you uh, once again. iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Check us out also on YouTube if you want to check out all the interviews as well. So we're going to let you guys go. Have a blessed week. We'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.